What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Born and Then Raised. It's your host, Raf. And this is Ravi. All right, and welcome back. This is episode 10. Uh, we got a few topics for you guys. Um, just two uh, main cases that we've been meeting to speak on for quite some time. Um, the second one, a fan actually suggested it, and uh, we've been sitting on it for a while. But yeah. right now, we're kind of slowly getting back into the groove of things. Um, we're getting our schedules a little bit, you know, straightened out so yeah. now we'll actually be able to record a little bit more consistently mm-hmm. and be able to post it at a consistent time as well so yeah i guess we can delve right into our first uh topic the first yeah. topic being that of brianna taylor um right it's something that's been circulating for a very long time i'm sure everyone who listens to us knows the name um and it's just it's a tragic story yeah. from my initial my initially hearing about it, it was it's just a tragic story in general. Um, but delving into it and delving into the way that it's been covered and handled um, legally, uh, socially, it's it's gotten even worse right. in my opinion. It's right. it, it's managed to get that much more poor. So I guess right. we can first off get into I guess like the facts. I mean, just what happened, right? Yeah, there's a lot of facts regarding this. Um, right. So just bear with me. I'll try to like get through them pretty quickly, but. I'm going sh- I'm just going to try to get into I guess the pretext of it, you know, how it actually led up to them even how uh, how it even led up to Louisville uh, Metro Police Department having a raid um of her apartment and then uh we'll discuss that and then we'll probably try to get into like the actual event and then discuss that and then how it's been handled and kind of like what are the uh progressions in the case right. as of today. Legally right? anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. legally, exactly. So initially, um, this is a 27-year-old black woman. Uh, she's from Michigan. She was from Michigan, but um, she lived in Louisville, Kentucky. And she at that at that time, um, she was the girlfriend of Kenneth Walker, who's another um, important individual that we're going to be discussing in regard to this in regards to this whole case. So in general, there's actually going to be like a few names we're going to be throwing around. So I guess we can just really introduce them. First off, you have Jamarcus Glover and Adrian Walker. So those two individuals, um, and Adrian Walker has no relation to Kenneth Walker, Breonna Taylor's um, boyfriend at the time, right? Uh, Jamarcus Glover, though, he was uh, Breonna Taylor's ex for four years. So they started dating back in 2016, but it was like on and off. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was until 2020 in like January when they broke up. And then they broke up because she was engaging in a new relationship with Kenneth Walker, right? Right. So how the police actually got introduced to Breonna Taylor was that Jamarcus Glover is was well was um, a known drug dealer, and the narcotics division was investigating him for a very long time, and it actually it was tied to the fact that Jamarcus Glover used like he used a car that like that was rented in Breonna Taylor's name, and there was a shooting regarding that car there was a shooting a drive-by shooting of that car with a man inside of it who died so that's kind of how the police really got introduced to her story at first Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until this year that they kind of really tried to do something about it and like in regards like a sting a sting operation so what happened was how they got the warrant initially at first or at least what the grounds of how they got the warrant was that one, there was already a relationship between, or there was a relationship that they could cite uh, for Taylor and Glover, right? Right. And numerous times, a car that was registered to Brianna Taylor was seen outside the Glover's res- Glover's residence within the past, like you know, a couple months prior to like you know them breaking up. 
and they also suspected that Glover was receiving packages that they assumed were drugs from her apartment, and he would take them and then leave. Yeah. They, he'd go to like a known drug spot, right? Right. So that all being said, they went to the U.S. Postal Inspection Office, and they asked them, supposedly, to look into her packages and see if there was anything like you know suspicious going on, right? And the the postmaster of in Louisville actually was who was interviewed after this entire ordeal happened. He, they asked him like, "Oh, did the Louisville um, Metro Police Department come up to you and ask to like investigate her mail?" And he said it wasn't the Louisville Metro Police Department. Mm-hmm. It was a completely different agency. And when asked, I told them no. So already there was already some false information on the warrant, and they wouldn't have gotten the warrant if that key piece of evidence wasn't there. Right. That key piece of evidence tying Breonna Taylor's apartment specifically to Jamarcus Glover, right? All right. So after getting that warrant, um, and March 13th was the day that the night that it happened, the police say that they announced their presence and used a battering ram to get inside the apartment. And apparently they have an, a witness who can attest to this. But of the 12 witnesses that were interviewed after the fact, only all 12 of them at that time said that police did not, you know, announce themselves or knock on the door. 12 people said that that never happened. But one of the witnesses about 12 months later, mm-hmm. who was actually one of the two people who were outside when it happened, he changed his mind two months later when he was interviewed by the cops again and said, no, I heard them say this is the cops and knock at least three times. Right. Kenneth Walker said apparently he heard the knocking, but he didn't hear anyone announce who, they, who, who it was, was right? Day, yeah. And that's a very key piece of information in regards to the charges that will eventually or could have been brought towards the officers, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I'll mention that later again. After the battery ram was used to open the door, right, Kenneth Walker, he didn't hear anyone announce who it was, or so he shot in that direction, a warning shot, and the bullet hit officer mattingly yeah it hit officer mattingly in the leg and the police officers the other two cosgrove and um hankison they decided that okay like we know we have to return fire so they unloaded about 30 rounds six of them hitting brianna taylor and a few of them hitting the neighbors um going through the wall into the neighbor's apartment and uh kenneth walker i believe was not hit in this incident in Mm -hmm. this instance but brianna taylor was she hit the ground and she wasn't actually dead the second she got shot. She actually died maybe like, I want to say like, I think they said the report was like about four or five minutes mm-hmm. after she was shot. So all that being said, she didn't receive medical attention for about 20 minutes after the event happened. And the body cam footage can show, you know, some officer going inside, but and like kind of like pointing out all the shells on the ground. But he said, OK, we have to wait for like, you know. We have to wait for um, another division to come in to like basically make sure everything was done correctly, and then we'll get to medical attention, right? And also, I want to point out that the cops, when they came in, they weren't wearing, they weren't wearing like their their normal uniform because it's a narcotics sting. They're not going to be wearing their their normal uniforms. They're wearing plain clothes, just so we have that like context, right? After all that happening, now I guess we can get to the legal process, or at least we can, if you want, we can discuss the actual event. And then we can get to the legal process and how that's handled because the legal process in and of itself is like a, a whole conversation. Right. Right. So, I mean, what are your, what's your initial reaction to, I guess, kind of like the raw information that's being shown? Um, I mean, 
you know, this is a story that obviously has been developing for quite a long time now. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though we personally hadn't, well, not personally, but like as far as the podcast is concerned, we hadn't spoken about it. Yeah. Um, I would say probably when I first heard it, uh, you know, of course, it's disturbing to hear like, you know, mm-hmm. the initial shock, whatever. You you quickly get over that as, you know, we've spoken about in the past, you know, as far as George Floyd and you get over it. You know, like mm-hmm. you kind of get over the initial shock and you do your research and you're just trying to figure out what happened. And, yeah, you know, it's kind of similar to, to most of these situations. Right? When it first happens, it's like. It's you know, same th- Yeah, it's like same thing with Jacob Blake. It's like you don't know quite what happened that was like wrong. You can't call it out initially. Right. But, you know, mm-hmm. something was definitely yeah not done correctly here. Right. And mm-hmm. obviously everything to do with how the warrant was acquired is stuff that didn't come out immediately mm-hmm. when the story broke. So. There was a lot of confusion at the time, but apart, you know, even without that piece of information, even without knowing about the legal process, everything that kind of happened after the event, it'll be, it'll be hard to look at it and not think that there's more to it, you know, like there's more things that went wrong. And I think that that, that's what it was like, you know, your heart goes out to, to Breonna Taylor, obviously, you know, because even initially you could tell that her involvement was not very direct. You know, no, like it doesn't seem not. like she was responsible for anything. And to have been in a, in, you know, obviously she was back and forth with, um, with Glover, but to have been at a point in her life, you know, where she's dating somebody else and, trying and to you know, on. right. St- still getting tied to her ex-boyfriend. I feel that's very unfortunate and unfair on, on her part, you know, especially mm-hmm. since there was never any connection to her, you know, doing anything in particular besides the yeah. fact that the, the car that was there was rented in her name which is mm. i mean you could call that a connection but it's not something that you have a no-knock warrant over you know yeah and, and i like, mean also i just want to i forgot to add this piece um in the exact same moment it was kind of like a uh synchronized sting they right. were also stinging jamarcus glover's known residence mm-hmm. at the same exact time so they took him into custody they were able right. to arrest him but right. you know the one with brianna taylor that's one that went left yeah. real fast right I mean, all that being said, I mean, I know when I first heard it, it's uncomfortable. Even knowing the raw details of it, it's right. really uncomfortable. It also doesn't help that, you know, you had Kenneth Walker and both Breonna Taylor. Actually, Kenneth Walker testified when, which I'll mention that immediately after this. Kenneth Walker testified when he was being apparently when he was being arrested for um, attempted murder of an officer uh, for firing off that warning shot. And also assault he testified in his in, in his interview that brianna taylor was actually screaming and you know who is it you know she she right. yelled who was it numerous times and i guess this is a good segue into i guess the legal rundown right. behind it so essentially like you know her screaming who is it numerous times that's what kind of brings in the castle doctrine uh-huh. so essentially what the castle doctrine is is that, you know, anyone who doesn't announce themselves, like the law enforcement are the only people you can't use deadly force against Mm -hmm. when they come into your house so long as they announce who they are, right? So, like, if someone comes into the house and, you know, if someone comes into your house and they're not welcoming, like, you also, like, you know, you have no idea who they are and you shoot and you kill them, that's okay because it's, like, protecting your castle, right? But, like, with officers, it's kind of like this, it's like this additional point in that they have to point out who they are and then from that point on you can't use deadly force even right. if it even if it does go left right right so in this situation there's kind of like not the question of okay if they 
if there's even a slight question that they didn't identify themselves, then one, you can't pin attempted murder or assault of an officer on Kenneth Walker. You can't Mm -hmm. do that because Mm -hmm. he was in a way following the law, but the cops weren't. But if you can prove that the cops identified themselves and knocked on the door, then you can pin something on Kenneth Walker. And also, you can also pin the fact that what they did was okay and they weren't in a way serving a no-knock warrant. Basically, the death of Breonna Taylor being justified is the only, like, it kind of hinges on the fact that they identified who they were and a warning shot, like, and that and so the shot, warning shot wasn't warranted, basically. Exactly. As long as if you can, you know, say that the warning shot wasn't warranted, then that in a way that it kind of weasels them out of killing Brianna Taylor, which to me blows my mind. Even if I mean, yeah, right. Like, if you consider the, mm. I think I think what gets you right as far as when you're looking at the legality of it and you're trying to see how how you could kind of justify the response and i think like obviously if we're in a situation where they had announced themselves and you know got shot at you could assume in that moment that like the person knows what they're doing Mm -hmm. but it's also like you look at the retaliation and it goes overboard what yeah what happened in the first place right like yeah the first shot that was fired whether or not they knew it was a warning shot at the time you know kind of goes out the window doesn't matter but did they really need to fire like 30 shots and like stuff about some bullets going into the neighbor's apartment like how do, how do you you know yeah. like obviously when we start talking about legally like yeah they point out they point out that that's unacceptable but it's mm-hmm. like i don't think they would have found themselves in a situation like that if it wasn't like a free-for-all type of situation you know like if there was if there was purpose i guess in yeah. in firing those shots and 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 the purpose was was realized by all the officers involved mm-hmm. i think it wouldn't have gone as far as it did and this is us assuming that everything else up to this point has been done clean cut right yeah not even mentioning the warrant not even mentioning how they got the warrant you know there's there's already like it kind of points out like in the system that you know there's there's so many jumps and 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 skips right across this entire process where you could point out early like you know why are you still looking into into her Mm -hmm. even after the fact you know like you you even say that they broke up and that you know there's really no connection anymore but like you're still looking at it right so i guess from from here we can look at, you know, legally what the what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So, interesting enough, this was much later after this happened. It was probably like I think it was like maybe like the middle of the summer. I want to say probably middle late summer. All right. And Glover, who was the Jamarcus Glover, the mm-hmm. the drug dealer that was arrested on the other side of town at the same exact time that Breonna Taylor was murdered, right? He was actually offered a plea deal if he would testify that Breonna Taylor was part of his drug dealing operations. So already you can see that there's some type of corroboration being done between the police and the DA's office that are essentially just trying to point out that like, hey, you know, this is kind of what's going to glue our case. So why don't we just put the two together? Right. And already that that should that should rub or at least that rubbed me the wrong way. Mm -hmm. You know, like, why is this? You're trying to make something like a plea bargain. If you don't know, it's kind of a way to skip trial. Right. So essentially you're it's kind of you saying, like, hey, we want you to plead guilty and give us a piece of information and then we'll lower your sentence. Right. Otherwise, if you don't agree to the plea bargain, you go to trial. trial, Well, well, yeah, we'll go to trial and we'll give you the harshest thing we can possibly give you. We're going to. And I mean, we we spoke about this, right? Like when we talked about the uh, prison industrial complex, like Mm -hmm. we made it known like you know, we we talked about plea bargains and how that plays into the um the perpetuation of, of people of color ending up in the system, right? Like mm-hmm. they kind of come up to you and say, Hey, if you go to a trial, 
we're gonna you're gonna have your your you know your attorney's not gonna be the greatest Mm because he's a public defender and um we're gonna give you the worst of the worst and you know Mm -hmm. you look at it historically in when you're in that position like if you were coming from a low income background if you're if you're if you're Mm -hmm. black if you're latino you know what i mean Mm -hmm. or hispanic and 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 you end up you know taking the deal because yeah, it's, it's the, the odds the, are stacked up against you. You know, it, it almost seems like a smart thing, thing to do. Yeah, but like that's what's allowed the system to continue for as long as it had, and that's the mm-hmm. reason why there's a disproportionate amount of people of color and people from low income backgrounds within the within yeah. the prison system. And some people can't afford an amazing lawyer. Right. You know, right. That's gonna like fight for them tooth yeah. and nail. Right. I so. mean, they're, they're already like, you know, they're memes about this stuff. You know, like yeah. people. People saying, oh, if your public defender looks like this, like you're going to jail. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's funny when you think about it, but it's real, you know. So Mm -hmm. I personally wouldn't have been as mad if he had taken the plea deal because not that I've been in a situation like that. But, you know, you got to understand that when probably they were explaining to him um, the case, they they didn't make it seem like they needed him to try and get out of Mm -hmm. this pickle, which they absolutely did. Right. Like Mm -hmm. them trying to pin Brianna Taylor to to Glover at this point is it's like a desperate maneuver to try and justify the Safe actions face. that occurred right but you could imagine that when they were telling him that like trying to encourage him to take the plea deal it wasn't mm-hmm. like that man you know they weren't coming at yeah, him at yeah. a position of negotiating to try and mm-hmm. you know you it's a win-win they weren't coming with a win-win you know they were looking mm-hmm. at it like if you don't do this we could make your life a living hell and so honestly great appreciation to him for yeah. not taking the plea deal you know I think also he understood the kind of implications it would have had, you know, as far as the black community is concerned. And I think he kind of bore that responsibility upon himself to try and expose what was happening. I still think, you know, like this isn't to this isn't to like make Jamarcus Glover out to be. Of course. Like, of course. Like, don't don't misinterpret us when we say this. But I I absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. I think it's like in that situation, I'm glad he didn't take it. And I'm pretty sure. His lawyer made a public statement because I remember first seeing it and I remember I'm pretty sure his lawyer made a public statement and said, like, you know, we're not going to let the justice system basically arm wrestle us into into taking down someone who's innocent. You know, like that doesn't or at least trying to save face and make an innocent person who is already dead look you know look it guilty. Like it just if anything, that's that's beyond disrespecting the dead. that That is. That's beyond disrespecting, you know, the dead. That, that's not letting anyone rest in peace. So, I'm I'm glad he didn't take the plea right, deal. Yeah. Um, I'm disgusted that they even offered it in a, in in reality. And I think the the attorney's office actually said that you know, oh, we that was like a rough draft version of the of the plea deal. We refined it. And we offered him a different one. Like that was just like he basically they were trying to say that he never even got that plea deal in the beginning it was just kind of like hearsay yeah but the and fact that he knew about it means it was on the table at some exactly. point where there was an informal conversation that occurred mm-hmm. between the, you know the da's office and him whatever it is the fact that he found out about it means it was something that was, was it came from some right it came from somebody it came from somebody from somewhere mm-hmm. you know exactly Okay, so now we're going to get into the one character in the situation that I'm not going to lie, I'm not the biggest fan of, Daniel Cameron, right? He's the attorney right. general of Kentucky, and he was supposed to take this case and present it to the grand jury, right? So this ties back to the Castle Doctrine, uh, what we were discussing earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, this case had potentially six different homicide charges they could have given the three officers, Hankison, Cosgrove, and Mattingly. You know, like you had six different you had six different charges. And the only charge 
that they actually, which was it was last week on Wednesday, no, not last week, but it was the 23rd, I believe. The only charge they were able to nail him, like, or at least the only charge that he said the grand jury agreed with was three counts of wanton endangerment. So right. this is what that is. Wanton endangerment is essentially, um, it's essentially, you know, stray bullets almost hitting someone else. So in the neighboring apartment, there was um, a mother who, who was pregnant, a child, and a, and a father, right? And a couple bullets went into, the, went into their house, and one apparently whizzed past the husband's head. Um, it broke a sliding glass door and something else, right? Really ser- really scary stuff. Right. So, like, I'm not even going to sit here and say that, oh, no, they shouldn't have, they had no right to be scared, they didn't die. No, I'm not going to say that. Right. You know, really scary stuff. And those bullets were fired by Hankison, and they said that, oh, we're charging you with three counts of wanton endangerment because you fired blindly into the Taylor apartment and it ended up not even going in their Into direction. The, yeah. It hit the other apartment right next door, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure you've seen it on social media before. I mean, I know I've seen it, but it's it's recently there's been a lot of social media going on about after the decision took place. Right. A lot of people were saying like, you know, Breonna Taylor, I'm sorry that your neighbor's wall was more important than your life. You know, like a lot of people have been saying that. and. I have to say, like, you know, like, I... I that's not I, necessarily the stance you take, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that that's, like, it's... I, I was I was frustrated. I was mm-hmm. frustrated because I was like, how, how did this even happen? So mm-hmm. after looking deeper into the actual um, deliberations of the grand jury, which are confidential, but at least hearing the press conference that Daniel Cameron had, he was stating that, you know, this was the most air case... Tight, like, those, this was the most airtight case he could have given towards the grand jury. So essentially mm-hmm. what you're supposed to do as the attorney general is you lay out all the evidence and you allow them to come to, you know, a decision of some sort, right? Right. Do you wait before we do you mm. bring as as the attorney general, do you bring uh forward like what's what I'm looking for? Um charges or or this is right charges, gets, right? This is where it gets interesting, right? So he said he said in the press conference that, you know, he told them uh, he laid out all the evidence to them. He offered, he told them about all the homicidal charges they could have given, and he told them about the wanton endangerment, right? But something he left out, apparently, or at least this is where, like, it was left out, and we only know it was left out because of one j- brave juror who um, filed a motion on Monday. Well, yeah, no, that was the 23rd. He filed a motion on Monday saying that, you know, he he wants all the court documents and all the transcripts following that deliberation to be public. And he wants the jurors the freedom to discuss, you know, what happened in that courtroom freely, right? He, mm-hmm. he offered it to a judge. The judge said yes. And he said, he told the attorney general's office, the judge said, you have two days to release all, all the information, all, all the, the transcripts, transcripts, all the recordings, right? And his office responded on Wednesday and said, listen, we need more. We need. Can we have like an extra week so we can remove names and any you know personal, personal like I guess indications of who a person might be mm-hmm. or any private information, right? And the judge said, "No, you're not getting an extra week. You have until the following Friday by noon." So, as of yeah, that was today. Yeah, that was today. So that's October second. October 2nd, as of noon, is when he had until then to, you know, release all the information. I mean, we haven't seen it yet. So, I mean, if, if when we hear it and if there's more developments on this, we'll right. be open to talk to it, talk about it again in the future. But as of right now, this is as much information as we could garner. Mm. And the juror was saying that 
the attorney general did not offer them a complete case. They did not. They were not told that they had the option to charge any of the other officers with homicide, with any homicide charges. Right. The basically the the attorney general kind of grazed over the homicide and he kind of essentially was kind of like goading them towards a wanton endangerment, saying that the officers were completely justified in firing back. So anything that happens after that is not their fault. He basically made it sound like that. So a lot of jurors had an issue with that. Or at least the one juror who publicly said that had an issue with that. So this is kind of where my, my issue comes in. It's it's the way that apparently he might have expressed mm-hmm. the case may have made it seem as though he kind of told them that, oh, you know, we have witnesses. We have one witness who said they heard the officer knock and announce who they were. Right. But apparently he right. did not tell them that there were 11 other, about 11 other witnesses who said they did not hear that at all. They heard the complete opposite, actually, nothing. And there's right. also no body cam footage of the entry because they were in plain clothes. So, like, it's it's kind of a really shady situation. And, you know, the more, the more reports that come out regarding the situation, the more it seems as though Attorney General Cameron is lying. The more and more, right? Because a lot of people, I think apparently he was at um, the National Convention, the, Repub- the Republican National Convention in late August, and he said that, you know, everyone, no matter who you are, whatever color you are, is equal under the law, right? Right. And a lot of people are starting to, come, like, you know, put that in question because when it came, like, when it came to saying that he was going to, you know, charge this case and like, take it very seriously, when it came to the actual time to do so, the only thing he got and the only thing that he said that the grand jury is the one that agreed on it. You know, they're the ones that agreed on it. It was them. It was them. Right. The only thing he could get was three, three counts of wanton endangerment. And I'm not saying that, like, you know, this is him failing to do his job, but it looks more it looks as more of he, he kind of he brought forth this agenda. That's what it looked like. And that's all he offered to them. Right. So a lot of jurors or at least the one juror seems to have a problem with that. And the juror felt as though Daniel Cameron was putting the blame on the jury mm-hmm. and not on the system, right? Like a lot more, like they, the jury's, the juror said that in, I read the motion, it was like 15, 16 pages long. And the juror said that, you know, jurors are allowed to talk about the fact that they went to, that they went to jury duty. They're allowed to talk about, you know, that they went, right? Right. But they're not allowed to talk about the contents, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you and they felt as though if they if they even go out and say that they were on a grand jury, which is what you can say you were on a grand jury, a jury, you know, they felt as though that's already incriminating enough. Like they'll use that against them, maybe, exactly, perhaps, they, or use it against yeah. the entire case, or just use that against them individually. They right. felt like you know, just saying that you're on a grand jur- jury and the amount of attention this case has gotten is, if you were to go up to someone and say, "I was on a grand jury in Louisville around this time." You know, I think a lot of people are going to put two and two together. So they felt as though it's like at that point, you might as well release all the information. Mm -hmm. So this, this case is, um, it's becoming more and more questionable in my eyes. It's becoming very uneasy that all these things are happening and all these kind of like cover-ups are happening. And that's the word that, that's the word that gets me the most, right? Like right Mm -hmm. there, questionable. Yeah, and it shouldn't. It, like, and if if this system is so believable and oh so God, like, trustworthy, man. there I shouldn't have as many questions. That's as what I'm, I'm saying. Like, you know what I mean? Like, 
I know yeah. I'm not speaking directly to anybody. Like I can't assume mm-hmm. what kind of stance that anyone who listens to this is going to take already has, but mm-hmm. I just find it crazy. And I've said it before. And you know, when more, when you find out more information about cases like these and like you do the research kind of like the way we do yeah, and you're discovering more and more information, it's like, you got to take a break after you, you know, you hear some crazy fact, mm-hmm. you know, like when you first find out that the, whatever the information that they put, to try and get the warrant in the first place was actually not yeah. true, right? Like it mm. was not, it wasn't true at all. You know, you take a break that takes you back, right? It's like, wow. Mm. Like, and I think the, the issue that I'm facing right now and like the kind of thing that keeps going on in my mind back and forth is kind of like the system is already messed up as is. Yeah. You know, there are people trying to make changes to it to try and make it better. Mm hmm. But we've you've got people arguing that you know the system kind of looks at you the same way, and it's like uh, take that out the take that out of the way, man. Just look at the way Breonna Taylor was kind of handled, and you look at every step has a question mark. Yeah, and it's a question mark that they can't answer. Mm-hmm. Like how how is that fair at all? Yeah, you and know, I'm, I'm pretty sure Daniel Cameron was actually asked in a press conference. They said um, they asked, "Oh, why is it that you?" told the grand jury about you know one witness saying that there was a knock and an announcement of who they were the police i mean when i say that Mm -hmm. but you didn't mention the and like about 11 12 other ones that said there was nothing being said and he responded by saying honestly this isn't really the question we should be asking we should be asking what information is more pertinent to the jury and that made me very that's not your job no that that made me so uncomfortable because i was like you don't get to decide what is more important for the yeah. jury to hear than than others. I mean, in a way, you are in a, in in a very broad sense. You do dis, you do you are supposed to bring forth all the information of the facts, but that's exactly what you're supposed to do. All the yeah, information you how, tell them. How is it how not, many people said no? How is it how not relevant? Yes. How is it relevant to say that one person saw the person do it, and it's not relevant to say twelve other people didn't, and they were right there? How is that not relevant? I don't know. You know, like That's it's almost re- like I you're in a crowd, you're in a crowd and you say, oh, one person saw you holding a cigarette mm-hmm. and there are 12 people that are like, we're with him. We didn't see him holding a cigarette. And you think that mentioning that the one saw you with a cigarette is more important than the other 12. Like, I, I just don't get how that makes sense. You know, at that point, you're headhunting. And it's just like, I don't know, man. It's just unfair, man. Like, mm-hmm. Breonna Taylor is not even alive anymore. You know, like she's gone. She's not coming back. And after all those protests, after all the attention, the media attention that it's gone you have an attorney general who's behaving like an ill-prepared, sleep-deprived no, public defender. But that's the thing. It's like, in my opinion, that's this is what bothered me about this so much. It's that I look at him, and he he's a very accomplished man. He, right. He's very he's a very intelligent man. He's been doing this for a while. So right. like, I look at it, and I'm like, I don't even think it's the fact that you're incompetent. I don't think it's the fact that you're no, lazy. No, no, I don't think it, it is. Looked yeah. so in, it looked so... The way he said it was so intentional. I was like, oh, yeah. Did you seriously... like? It, it makes it seem that you really don't want these cops to get nailed on anything. Right. Like that, that's exactly what it sounds like. That's exactly what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not you being incompetent, then it has to be the alter, it has to be the alternate option. Yeah. It has to be the fact that you it's just didn't want, yeah. you just didn't want someone to get charged with the murder. I mean, you were okay with someone getting charged with wanton endangerment, you know, God forbid what happened to their, God forbid, you know, someone's wall gets hit. Like, and I get it. You know, those other people were in danger. That is a very fair charge to bring. I completely understand that. But you you didn't want to address the root of how that shot even got put into the 
neighbor's apartment in the first place. Right, that's what I was gonna say. Like, like what you're not like like Brianna Tay's case is what established you looking into the one time endangerment. Exactly. So like I look at it and I'm like, right. you went everywhere but the center of the of the you went everywhere but the center of the problem. And it it's infuri it's frustrating and I, it's a little disappointing that, you know, as as a lawyer, that's kind of what came of that. But I mean at this point you kind of have to wait for we need we need to review the the deliberations yeah. of the jury and yeah. I, I I mean if there is proof of of goading of him you know leaving out certain information then that's a problem that, right. that's an immense problem and I don't know right. if that man will be able to keep his job and mm-hmm. I I personally don't think if you do that on purpose as a lawyer right. you should be disbarred you should absolutely oh, be 100%. disbarred you know so and to be like the AG too come exactly on, man. to be the AG of an entire state like come that on, it's man. like that that's just ridiculous so I mean. Um, just a side note, like obviously, mm-hmm. whatever we find out when the if the transcripts uh, the transcripts get um mm-hmm. released, um, and we have a good look at it, depending on what the kind of stuff we find out, we might have to do like a part two mm-hmm. to this entire Breonna Taylor conversation. Which honestly, I'm okay with, just because okay with we've kind of not addressed the the event because we're waiting for more information to develop. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about it with a better position, and I think we we had enough to talk about it tonight. Mm-hmm. But there's a big possibility that there might be more information developing uh, you know in the next coming in the next couple of days and we will Mm -hmm. definitely need to get back to that if we have to you know rest in peace and i i wish our family the best Mm -hmm. um it's a sad it's a sad story i just hope you know her family gets the justice that they deserve and i hope everyone in this situation gets the justice they deserve right like i really hope i you know but for the time being uh we'll keep you guys updated if we hear anything you know significant um keep keep looking for information surrounding that case right. yourself as well right. you know like obviously make sure to fact check and you know double check everything that you see but you know keep keep yourself posted you know stay updated with it because it's important to be looking at things like that and be looking at more information surrounding that conversation as well um so yeah i mean i guess we can now transition into our second conversation mm-hmm. uh similar well not well not similar to Breonna Taylor but similar theme uh, I guess yeah similar theme and it's a uh, pretty similar to George Floyd in a way um Daniel Prude of Rochester which is actually really close to uh you know really close to us right now mm-hmm. we're at school so we're in Elmira but it's you know north of us and right it's right there so uh the case of Daniel Prude um I'll try to obviously the, my my quick my quote-unquote quick rundown of Breonna Taylor wasn't exactly that but I'll try to get through Daniel Prude, the information of that case, um, a little faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a little bit less to go through as well. Yeah. So Daniel Prude is a 41-year-old uh, black man from Chicago. And he lived with his sister in Chicago, but was actually visiting Rochester to see his brother, Joe Prude. And his um, his sister actually sent him, sent Daniel over to his, her brother, Joe, mm-hmm. because, you know, Daniel was seemingly kind of having like really erratic behavior. Yeah. Uh, supposedly because of a, PCP laced joint he had a few days prior Mm -hmm. and he was still kind of like you know tweaking a little bit but you know pretext of that that's essentially what kind of sent him over to Rochester so that was uh, basically it was March 22nd he arrived in Rochester and that same day he apparently jumped down a flight of stairs head first Mm -hmm. and his brother was concerned so his brother called emergency services and they took him and transported him to Strong Memorial Hospital. And there they did a mental health evaluation. Um, he actually supposedly 
announced that you know he had some suicidal thoughts and they actually ended up releasing him later that night so he went back home to his brother joe uh, in rochester and a few hours later it was about around like 3 a.m he exhibited like you know really erratic behavior again he got a little aggressive and like you know a little wild and he ended up leaving the house in just like you know long johns and a t-shirt at first like it was freezing that night as well it was in march and he ended up stripping down uh naked and then when the cops he like his brother called emergency services again yeah and the cops actually showed up first this time and when the cops found him he was naked it was like he was bleeding on his hands a little bit yeah i guess it was probably maybe he was like running through maybe slipped fell on the concrete something like that prior to that actually apparently um after he was like naked, he was like running around, and then there was like a, oh, a yeah. lady who recorded him on like a Facebook Live, mm-hmm. and that's how people kind of knew that there was like a naked guy running around, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then apparently, the same lady called emergency services because mm-hmm. he kept begging her to do so. Like, Daniel, apparently, mm-hmm. Daniel Pruitt was like begging her to call emergency like mm-hmm. services to come and I don't know, pick him up or something. Yeah. But after he found out that um, she yeah. had called and they were on their way, he kind of just like panicked again and then ran away. So I think at that point, mm-hmm. I think the cops were really looking for him in that area because oh, they had okay. been made aware that he ran out. And like, yeah. obviously, that's when they encountered him. And they were there, obviously, before DMTs. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, that's important. important right, piece right. As well. So after that, it was around like 315 that they found him. 316. Initially, he was like, you know, um, they asked him, like they came up to him with the taser and they're like, oh, get like get on your knees, you mm-hmm. know, put your hands behind your head. You know, he was arrested. Um put around handcuffs he was laid face down on the concrete at this point he was still naked um and you know it was kind of like i guess him sitting around and it was a lot of him like you know complying saying yes sir yes sir mm-hmm. and obviously you know he's still kind of like tweaking off like you know the drugs right, yeah and, no and like he's not he's, yeah he's, he's mentally not okay. he's not in the best state right now exactly yeah. mentally he's not okay but you know he, he's trying his like he's trying his best to comply um in the body cam footage you can actually hear him say you know a few prayers and say like you know in jesus name amen you know, like right. God be with me, in Jesus' name, Amen. Like he's praying like numerous, numerous times, but at the same time, he's also kind of like you know spazzing a little bit. Yeah, like he, yeah. And um, you know, for a while he was on the ground, and then eventually he kind of started getting agitated again, and he kind of started to like get on his like sit up and kind of like sit on his hind side and just kind of like you know sit there. Like, Apparently he was spitting. Ex- too, yeah, he was yeah. like spitting. Um, and this is kind of what led the officers to like you know put a spit hood over him, mm-hmm. right? So they put a spit hood on him, and at this point he's still covered up for a while. He's still kind of like sitting on his hind right. side, you know. Like they all just like kind of standing around him, looking at him. Yeah, just talking, just talking, just, just chatting. Just kinda, really. Yeah, like. Yeah, and then this is kind of where it gets bad. Um, at this point, you know, he's still he's still naked. He's not covered or anything. Yeah, and, and I, it's raining. Oh, by yeah, the way, it's, raining. it's like it's, raining, and I think. At some point, it kind of turns into like snow or something. Yeah, so it like, looks like it, it looks cold. It looks cold. You know, it was freezing. Yeah. And, um, essentially, he kind of started to like lean up again, and the officers like you know pushed him back down, and then he kind of kept trying to do it, and then eventually, but it wasn't in like any aggressive way. Like it was no. in no way threatening, right? Yeah. But before they put the spit hood on him, and I think I think once or twice after they put the spit hood on him, he actually asked for their gun. So like you can tell at this point, he's absolutely, yeah, he's, he's mentally just not there. Yeah. Like I think at this point, they already assumed he was, for lack of a better term, or at least what they called it, crazy. But, um, you know, him asking for the guy, he's like, oh, give me the gun, give he me was, the gun. You know, give, me, give me the mace, don't like, kill me. Can tell, yeah. like, he was kind of just like spewing out a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And at this point, he kind of like, at this point the cops kind of like they 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 tackled him down 
and they put um, one officer put his knee on his back. It was a lower left lumbar region, and the other officer, whose body cam it was that we were watching, um, he did this thing like a hypoglossal nerve technique. Mm-hmm. So essentially, it's like you dig your fingers right behind the jaw, kind of, and it's meant to kind of like I guess mess with the, the hypoglossal nerve, and that nerve actually innervates the tongue the muscles of the tongue so like it, it can really like either stall it or it can mess with it um whatever it is and it's but it's essentially supposed to cause a lot of pain so and you force you to like just apply, like stop yeah. just stop doing whatever you're doing um but they were holding it there for about a minute and a half i mean a little under two minutes and they were also leaning on his back for about a little under two minutes mm-hmm. and um in the video you can kind of see like he's kind of like puking and like spitting up like fluid yeah um and eventually it gets to the point where like he's puking and then he kind of just like really starts to puke and then just stops moving. Yeah. He stops moving, stops breathing. Right. And after that point, one of the officers says, yo, you good. And then he releases like the hypoglossal nerve. And then he kind of just puts his hand on his, like he's kind of like leaning on his head with his hand and his knee for a little bit on his head and still on his back. And you know, some time passes and then that was about like 45 seconds. And then eventually they stop leaning on him period. And he's not, he, he's not, not responsive. really breathing. He's not yeah. responsive at all. And they turn him on his side. The EMTs finally show up, and then they turn him on his side, and he's, like, releasing, like, a lot of, like, fluid and stuff. Not, like, a ton, but, like, you know, it's kind of, like, in spurts. Mm-hmm. And eventually they put him on his back, and then the EMTs tell the, tell the cops to start CPR. So they're doing CPR, and... From our from our view of of the of the video, it's like his stomach got really. Yeah, I gotta really look into bloated. that. Man. I gotta I gotta really look into that because because his stomach wasn't they, that bloated yeah, before. Yeah, it wasn't. But like once they started doing CPR, it's like you know his stomach looked massive. Mm-hmm. It looked like it was just full of gas and liquid. Like right. It just it didn't look good. Like I mean, he's naked in the video that we watched. They're kind of like blurring out, obviously. Yeah. You know his lower area, but you could see the stomach, right? Like yeah, in the stomach, parts yeah, that are not absolutely. like blurred out at all. You could see it's just, yeah. it looks like a massive like sack of fluid at that point. Yeah. And he's like 5'10 and like 200, I think they said 20 pounds. Yeah. So like it, it, it couldn't have been just weight. It couldn't no, have just been fat. Something no definitely way. happened right there. So essentially he was um, eventually put into the ambulance and they got a pulse in the ambulance. But by the time they got to the hospital and like, you know, after the day, after the night, he was announced brain dead. Like he was non-responsive this entire time. Yeah. So the um, autopsy report actually came back and said that it was due to asphyxiation mm-hmm. by physical restraint that he died. That was yeah. the reason that he died. It wasn't even you know the PCP. It wasn't any of that. It was primarily the asphyxiation that he mm-hmm. experienced. It was the lack of oxygen to the yeah. brain. He was in life support like right for like a week, and then they they finally turned it off after. Yeah. Because they pronounced him like brain dead. Did they pronounce him brain dead the the day they turned it off, or like they pronounced it? Brain dead. They pronounced him brain dead like the night, the, the day after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the and day then, after he was already pronounced but brain dead, but he was like still non-responsive the entire time. So he could have been brain dead a long time prior to that. Yeah, but they didn't really announce it until the next day. Right. So all that being said, that happened back in May, and you know, a lot of people there was a lot of um, there was a lot of frustrations regarding the the case at first, but obviously not too much. Mm-hmm. And fast forward to like right around now, around like August, September. Right. And a lot's happened since then. Um, Letitia James, which is the attorney general of New York, she's investigating the case. She was actually told to investigate the case since like April because anytime someone dies under police custody, the attorney general takes the case. And the mayor of Rochester actually uh, openly said, like, you know, 
Prude was failed by the police department, by, you know, the the, the mental health institutions mm-hmm. um, within our city and myself as well. That's what she said. And all the all seven officers who had something to do with the case, they were suspended um, with pay, but they were suspended indefinitely. The police chief, um, Singletary, he was actually he announced he was going to retire and then she fired him like a day after or two days after he announced he was going to retire. And the reason for that being the police chief told her that he died because of an overdose in police custody, Mm -hmm. not due to asphyxiation. Right. So she had no idea for all those months. And then that she she said she didn't see the video or the body cam footage until August 4th. Right. And you didn't really see like all the massive protests or at least it didn't get that, that much attention until, or at least all the protests didn't happen until the footage was released in early September, September first right. or September second or something like that. So that's kind of, I guess, all the the raw information regarding the story. Um, my take on this is that it, it was interesting because I'm seeing a lot of the way it's covered is like I'm not seeing a lot of dissenting opinions, primarily because one, I don't really quite see how you can argue this. I don't really quite see right. how, how you can say that everything that they did was correct in that situation. And this was just failed training in terms of just handling someone with, who's, who's struggling right. mentally. This right. And I think, it, and I think that's a big thing, right? Like it kind of, it, it overlaps the yeah. conversation kind of overlaps, mm-hmm. right? Like the, here it is, um, a black man, right? Mm-hmm. We already have issues like that involving, um, the encounters with police officers and mm-hmm. use of brutal force. But then it overlaps into this entire conversation of mental health, which, you know, you know, it's a big topic that we're going to get into eventually. Like, if that's yeah. on our agenda, don't worry. But it overlaps, right? And we start mm-hmm. looking at, I think, I think um, as far as police training is concerned, mm-hmm. it becomes more apparent and a lot more obvious when you watch that video, man. Like, how many times yeah. were we watching that? And I was literally like, they just don't know what to do, right? Like, I'm not taking the blame away from the police officer for what they did, mm-hmm. but I think part of their ill response to the situation it stems from a lack of knowledge. Like they just don't it's, know. Sometimes how to, I don't even think it's just the na- lack of knowledge. It's the, it's the lack of empathy because right. like a lot of them, like they were kind of like laughing and like, you know, yeah. they were just like, they were kind of like talking to him as if he was just like, you know, I, I hate to say this. They're talking to him as though he's like that, the local crazy person, you right. know, like down the road, like, like they, they all know him. Like yeah. a few of them were like laughing occasionally throughout the video. And it's like, there was no sense of, I guess, seriousness being taken with this. And it was, right. It, it was disappointing to it was disappointing to kind of uh, to have see the aggression. I mean, it, and that's thing. It wasn't even like overly aggressive. Mm-mm. I mean, not to say that well, like them doing a hypoglossal nerve technique isn't aggressive. I think that's aggressive in that situation. Mm. But like one, you're holding it for almost for just under two minutes. There's no way that anyone would be okay after you do that for that long. Right. I don't think that's something you should be doing that long. Do I know the complete science behind it? Not entirely, but I don't think I would be able to handle a pain like that. I mean, I like I, immediately after you put it on that. for like maybe 10 seconds, you can hear that his speech is slurred. Yeah, it's absolutely slurred. It's like already you starting can't, to like you, dissipate. You can't tell what it is he's saying anymore. Exactly. So like it's it, it was disappointing to kind of see like the, the lack of compassion mm-hmm. that I know a lot of people who have dealt with, you know, individuals who struggle with mental health. I mean, I have some friends who are EMTs and like. You know, they'll say themselves, like, individual, like, psych transports, mm-hmm. those are, like, some of the toughest. You know, like, they're, they're some right. of the toughest because a lot of times people do get aggressive. A lot of mm-hmm. these people who are struggling in mentally, like, they, they do get aggressive. A lot of things do go south. But 
it never goes if it goes out that poorly it doesn't get to the point where you know you you're you're suffocating them right you know that there's no reason for in a situation like that for if you're if you're trying to help someone who's struggling and we're going through like a mental episode right there is in no ex- way an excuse that you should be suffocating them if anything that that does not help you know that do, that doesn't help de-escalate a situation no not at all i mean maybe it's good training for a criminal if you right. want if you want to do a criminal but if you think that every single person you arrest is a is a hardened criminal and i mean also like you got to think about it, right if you if there's an inclination that the person you're dealing with has some kind of mental uh background that mm-hmm. prevents them from reasoning like everybody mm-hmm. else wouldn't you think that the natural his response to mm-hmm. i guess pain or your techniques of mm-hmm. trying to subdue him wouldn't be the same as like an everyday the, yeah an, ev- an everyday person like the the average person you know like perhaps mm-hmm. Doing that technique to somebody who processes pain and and stressful situations the same way you do makes mm-hmm. sense, but like you don't know how he processes that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, like you don't know whether he's gonna panic because in that situation, and obviously there's no way to tell when you first meet somebody, but when you've met somebody in the manner that they met him mm-hmm. and seeing what was happening and the events that led to them being in that situation, mm-hmm. you would think that the use of force would take into account just his. Probably he, you know, his inability to process things the same way as everybody else, mm. and I think that you know, like it goes back to like what you're saying, like there's a lack of empathy there when you when the when the, when you see the way they handle the situation, but you know, it just kind of goes back to that conversation of defunding the police, right? Like mm. you can't you can't look at this and say they didn't do it right and not think about oh when when did we talk about situations like these in the past where Mm. we talked about people with mental health issues or you know being you know coming encounters with with police officers Mm. and it's not so long ago you know that defunding the police was a huge hashtag and it was trending everywhere and the whole concept of that was in that situation when they called emergency services yeah the first people to show up on the scene shouldn't have been the cops and yeah, I mean that that's what the mayor actually discussed in in a press conference after the cops were suspended. She said that, you know, they wanted to start putting more money to they wanted to, like there's actually being a lot of demands by a lot of protesters and she said, that, you know, she wants to start putting money towards a lot more mental health um programs in Rochester. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of demands that were a lot of demands of the protesters were that, you know, they want cops to not be called as often when it comes to these, you know, mental health episodes. They, right. they want, you know, other professionals to be showing up, but not cops. Because, I mean, I, I understand, like, you know, emergency services involves a lot of different people. A right. lot of different people. Right. But in a situation like this where it's like, you know, you start to question, you know, the, the validity behind using all these techniques or the validity of your training. Even. Right. Like, cops are trained to do a lot of different things. Uh, a lot of different things. Trained to subdue, trained to kill, trained to do CPR, trained to do first aid. Like, you know, you, you kind of take, like, you know, a lot of, you're taking a lot of uh, skills and, and different techniques from a lot of different areas of expertise and you put it into a cop and you're kind of like, oh, I'll handle the situation. I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll give this to cops. There's no reason they should be handling that much. Like, they shouldn't have that much responsibility because when you give them that much responsibility, you know, it, it comes into, it, it, starts to become a it starts to become a question of can you can you do every single little thing we're asking you to do in the best way possible and I don't Ooh. think that's the case 
That's interesting. I don't think that cops can do every single little thing you ask them to do 100% well 100% of the time. That's why we have expertises. That's why we have paramedics. That's why we have EMTs. Right. You know, that's why you have firemen. Like, you know, like there's some right. things that a fireman does that a paramedic and a cop cannot do. Right. There's some things that a cop can do that a paramedic and a fireman can't do. Like, And I think in this situation... I don't think cops are well equipped to handle no. some like besides the strength besides handling someone who becomes overly aggressive. I don't think they have that capability. Right. I don't. And I mean, you know, talking about it, you could almost see that, you, you know, you just saying that kind of points something out that we, we, we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. When you look at that whole video. They really didn't know what to do with him until the point where they felt like he was, he was being aggressive. He was being aggressive. The only time they actually that crazy? that was actually so like the, the, the spit hold and those holds were the only thing they the did. The only thing in that entire situation that mm-hmm. they were able to apply the training that they had was when he tried to be aggressive. Yeah. So if he had not been aggressive in that situation, like hypothetically, he still would have been able, he, they still wouldn't have been able to help him. He didn't get up. Because single, like, and they didn't know what to do anyway. Even when he got put into the ambulance, that man was still fully naked. No That's what blanket, I was no saying. No blanket. He was. Come he on, wasn't man. covered by any means. He was just kind of sitting. He was just. He was literally placed there and treated like, for lack of a better term, he's kind of like just like an animal. They were just kind of looking at. It's like, oh, no, They were literally standing around in a circle, looking at him, talking There's, about like, oh yeah, no, I saw him running out down the street and like naked, like what? And I'm like, what is that really the best you, thing you can talk about right now? Are you serious? You can't cover him, like you can't do anything. Like there has to be a sense of compassion in a situation like this, and Man. it's, and I think that's what in this situation, a lot of people are kind of starting to see that there should be, that this is the like police training has holes in it. Yeah, it's not sufficient. Right, it's where it's where it's currently at is not sufficient. But I, I mean, I think it's sufficient. I, I, don't, I don't if their job yeah. is specific to their training. It's mm. it, it starts to seem inadequate when we when we look at You're what they are required to do mm. versus what they know to do, and that's the gap we're trying to bridge right there, right? Like mm. that's the gap we're trying to say has to be filled by other services within the community, mm. right? Talking about drug users and stuff like that, like you look at this guy, you know, in this situation, and it's a double whammy. Mm. Okay, he's a guy who's currently having an episode, and you know, he has a history of mental illness, but he's currently having an episode due to drugs that he took right like he ingested mm-hmm. drugs a couple of days prior and, and they, it's causing this episode so it's a double whammy here mm-hmm. where they're handling somebody who's mentally ill and also is, is 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 having an episode due to drugs and their training doesn't help them with that yeah right but they've been called to the situation because i don't know they're required to be able to handle this situation mm-hmm. but they don't know the first thing about doing it so their training looks inadequate and i think that's something that we we may not have pointed out when we looked at like police training and all that stuff if we're not going to change the training, which is what something other people argue and say, oh, like that you shouldn't have to tra- change the training is perfect. The training is fine. If we don't have to train, if we don't have to change the training, then, then we at have least to change, change the, the requirements of the job or like what they expect there has to, to do. Some because of compromise the here. two don't correlate. Mm-hmm. They don't make sense. No, that's true. And, and you know, it's pick just, your poison. It's kind of like pick, right, what, we, pick right. what we're going to fix. You like, see that we train them a whole, like a lot more and we screen them a whole lot more or we give them fewer responsibilities. And which one? Of, which one would they prefer? Which one I do have you no want idea. to do? I have no idea, but I, it needs to be one or the other, right? Because we're getting to a point where it's like, and thing is, if you if we do change the training and mm-hmm. we give them more training and stuff, then the standard has to be set even higher, and legally the standard has to be set higher right. as well. Oh yeah, because you can't tell me we're adding 
We're, we, you can't tell me that we're, we're adding tax dollar, taxpayers dollars are going into training you and trying to teach you more of what to do. Mm-hmm. And let's say you mess up on that new training we just gave you. Yeah. You're telling me that you have the same responsibility as you did before we gave you that training that no that, no. that can't fly no. that literally can't fly and that's what's kind of frustrating about you know the way cops are held accountable for a lot of these things right it's you kind of look at the way they're being held accountable and it's like you know we're not in 19 we're not in the 1920s like we're not, right. <laughs> we're not in the 1930s like we're not like we're not in the 20th century you right. know like we're we're in the 21st century that you you've been doing this and the system has been around for so long mm-hmm. there needs to be accountability on the professional side, the legal side, everywhere. In every aspect of society, man. Exactly. In every aspect of society, you have to be held to a high standard. You have to be like, and I get it. You know, like a lot of people say like, oh no, this is a stressful job. You don't know what you're, you know what you're saying. Like, you know, where you don't understand that's what's being asked of us on a day-to-day basis. I don't. You're absolutely right. But at the same time, if you want to do this job, if you want to do this job, if you want to protect and serve your community, you have to understand how much goes into protecting and serving this community because it goes far beyond you arresting someone Mm -hmm. because they trespassed. It goes far beyond you, you know, doing investigations for narcotics. You know, it goes far beyond that. It goes into the simple interactions you have day to day with, with the children in the community. It Mm -hmm. goes into it. It's way deeper. You know, it's a lot of it's fostering that relationship before you even arrest them in the first place. Everything leading up to that is just as important, if not right. more important, than right. which arm you grab when you're putting a handcuff on someone. Right. It goes far deeper than to, your person. Your personal skills need to be in higher consideration than your ability to read someone their Miranda rights. And I wish that, and I I want that to be something that is told to a and lot expected. more people and expected exactly mm-hmm. expected yeah. as well. So. I mean, that, that's how I feel about this Daniel Prude case. I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, more comes of it. And I'm hoping, I, I don't know what the progress is for the charges right. that are going to be put forward. I mean, so far, there's just suspensions. Um, the police chief got fired. And we haven't really heard much in terms of, you know, if anyone's going to be charged for, I guess, I don't even know what they'd be charged for at this point. Yeah. Reckless endangerment. Um, I mean, hey. Would love to keep talking about this, but uh, as timekeeper, I kind of messed up my job today, and uh, we went a little bit overboard. So yeah, no, this um, was a little bit lengthy right, episode. We're gonna have to just cut it off right now. Um, like mm. I said, I think, and I think Raf strongly agrees that there's probably mm. gonna be like a part two to this episode as more information oh, develops, and we talk about the two cases uh, probably in more detail and share our thoughts even more. Um, mm. We kind of did that in the end, as you could tell, but. There's definitely more that we feel we, we ought to say on it and really express our thoughts and feelings towards it. So stay tuned for that. But for today, I think this is where we're going to end it. So thank you so much for tuning in. Um, as usual, just reach out to us if you have any questions or suggestions. We love hearing from you guys. Um, we're in this together, man. You know, So the more of us are having these types of conversations and talking about it, we love to do that. And I think that's the only way we can truly progress and make changes in today's society. So yeah. Absolutely agree. All right. All right. See you next week. Peace. Cheers.